Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Would you please pray with me? Oh God, we are so thankful that we are here today. And we thank you that we are able to gather as your people to celebrate resurrection, knowing that this day is not like every other day, that this is the day that we gather as your people to to hear your word, to hear the story once again of how the tomb is now empty and the promises that that empty tomb holds for each and every one of us. So God, as we come to you, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and all of our hearts just be meditated on you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So during the season of Lent and today, we've had one question. And that one question is simply, how do you view God? What is, what is your view of God? Now, if we were to ask randomly uh, different people in the congregation, I know that we would probably have many different answers. And most likely, most of them may not be good. Now, we may look at God as being an angry judge. Or we may look at God, that's somebody that's angry with us all the time. Or we may look at God that only loves us when we do the right things. The season of Lent, and especially here on Easter Sunday, we're wanting to focus on the narratives that that we believe about God and, and hopefully take those narratives and flip them to know that God isn't angry at us or God doesn't just want us to to puppet the things that he wants us to do, but to remember. And, And if you don't hear anything else today during my sermon, I want you to hear this, that God is madly in love with each and every one of you. And that God wants the best for his children. Isn't that good news? That is good news that I, I, just, I just can't stop but not smiling to, to think about. I, I just cannot stop just being giddy knowing that God loves me with a passionate love that he sent his son to die for us so that he may be raised again, so that we may have life, and that we may have life abundantly. 
But unfortunately, as we talk about those different narratives about God, those narratives also can play in how we look at the resurrection and how we look at this day today. For some of us, if we have a a kind of a, a negative view on God, we may look at Easter Sunday as, well, you know, that day that we have to come to church because, well, maybe our parents want us to come or, you know, maybe we're involved somehow and we have to be here. But I hope and pray that, that through our worship today and through this time together, we can see that this time is a time of, of celebration. This time is a time where, where we can know that God is here for us in a mighty and powerful way. Over the past uh, season of Lent, I am involved with a band group, which is a, about four different guys that we read different Bible verses together. It's based off of John Wesley's uh, historic uh, uh, approach of, of small groups. And it's a little web reading that we have. And throughout Lent, it's had the same prayer uh, every day. And, and one of those types, one of the words, lines in the prayer is one that we hold on to. And it's a prayer that talks about how we are sinners. And the prayer goes like this. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I've I've said that prayer over my entire life. But there's something that uh, the author of this little devotion that he did that, that made it come more alive to me this year. He didn't stop there. He didn't stop at the fact that we are sinners. But then he went on and he had us continue our prayer by saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a son. Then finally, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a saint. The, The whole tenor of the prayer moved through this movement. Of, of who, we, who we were, who we are, and, and who we become through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, we sin. We do things that, that are not a part of what God's plan for us, but we are still sons and daughters of a God who loves us and cares for each one of us. And because of that, we become saints. If you're new and you're wondering why I'm acting this way, a week ago, Friday, my mom passed away. And I had plenty of opportunities not to be here this morning. But I had to be here because this is my family. And I had to be here because there is a message of hope today that I pray comes out of all of this blubbering that I may do. So please, please forgive me. Lord, have mercy on me, a saint, because that's who we're supposed to become. When we turn our lives over to God that loves us and cares for us, we become saints. It's not something that happens when we pass away, but I believe it is something that can take place in our lives right here 
and right now. See, there's this narrative that I'm an awful sinner. It must be replaced by the narrative that says, in Christ, I am no longer to be defined by sin, but I have been reconciled, and that sin has been defeated in my life. Our scripture for this morning paints a picture of this, so I invite you to follow along as we go to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, look for the things that are above where Christ is sitting at God's right side. Think about these things above and not things on earth. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to these things, but now set aside these things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by comforting, by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all things and in all people. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other. And if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things... Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then the peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body, and be thankful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in light of our scriptures this morning, what what does it mean to be raised with Christ? The, the New Testament, the, the Gospels in the New Testament is clear that it does not separate Jesus Christ from Christ believers. Rather, those who put confidence in Jesus are inhabited by him. In other words, a, a phrase that you may have heard time and time again from me is that we are ones in whom Christ dwells and we live in God's unshakable kingdom. That's a promise that I hold on to day after day. It's because Christ died and because Christ was raised again and because I put my confidence in him, my life is different. 
that Christ is dwelling inside of me, and that is what makes a difference. It's not that I'm trying to live a, a sinless life like Jesus, but Jesus, who was sinless, lives in me. And because Christ lives in me, that makes me different. That makes his power dwell inside of me so that I may live for him. Now, this isn't a, a odd view of, of Christ living inside of us. Paul talked about this all the time. Matter of fact, in his epistles, it shows up 164 times in all of his letters. So if it shows up in Paul's letters 164 times, I think Paul is wanting us to get it. That when we are those in whom Christ dwells, that Christ lives with us, that that is important. And we see these important verses that, that we share all the time, especially Galatians 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I, my sin has been crucified with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And then in Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Because we live in Christ, we are a new creation. Everything has passed away. See, everything has become new. I don't know about you, but for me, that is great news. The news, the fact that, that sin no longer defines who I am, but because I have put on Christ, my citizenship now is in heaven. And we are beloved children of God. Now, we still live in our old selves. We still have this, this body of clay that, that we drag around with us everywhere. And because of that, there are those remnants that are there. Sin is still there. Separation is still there. Those old narratives, those old memories, those old habits are there. But because Christ dwells in us, we no longer have to live in those old habits. We don't have to, no longer have to live in those former ways. We live in this new reality of Christ's love and power in our lives. John Wesley who was the founder of the Methodist movement, he talked about it in this way. He said that we are saved from sin, yet not entirely. It remains, though it does not reign. We are reconciled to God through the blood of the cross, and in that moment, the flesh has no more dominion over us. We can then live fully in God's promises. There was an old youth director that I, I followed uh, when I was doing youth ministry and would go to several of his conferences of, called Youth Specialties. His name was uh, Mike Iaconelli, and he uh, passed away in 2003, but before he uh, passed away, he wrote a book called uh, Messy Spirituality, 
And in this book, he, he talks about how we are to uh, fully embrace the fullness of God. And he told us about the story about a mission trip that he went down uh, to Brazil, uh, Sao Paulo. And he, he was visiting a pastor by the name of Claudio. And, and Claudio had a mission in the city of reaching out to the street kids that were there. And the street kids would come to uh, the mission. They would be fed. They would be ministered to. Uh, and then Claudio would give them a different task. And, and it would help these kids escape a life off of the streets. But unfortunately, as, as it happens, sometimes those kids, they, they, they slip out of the cracks. And uh, one certain young boy uh, disappeared from the ministry. And Claudia was taking Mike around the town, and they were walking down a street, and they looked down an alley, and Claudio realized that he recognized a young boy that was sleeping at the end of the alley. And it was a boy that they had ministered to time and time again, and it actually was thriving very well in the ministry uh, there at Sao Paulo. And and he went to this young boy and, and kind of picked him up and cradled him and started to whisper into his ear. And Mike looked on and saw what was going on. And finally, uh, Claudio put the young boy down and came out of the alleyway. And Mike said, so tell me, what's the story? And Claudio told about how this young boy would come to the mission, and, and he broke free from the traps of drugs and, and from street life and was doing quite well, but then one day he disappeared. And Claudia was happy that he saw him. So he went and talked to him. And Mike said, well, well what did you say to him? I told him that I loved him. I told him that I cared for him. I told him that this was not who he was. You know, he accepted Christ, and, and that fullness of Christ lived in him, and he was not held captive by this street life. And I told him, most importantly, that I am here for him and that I will always be here for him. But I'm thankful that I saw him in this alleyway because I'll come back. And if he's still there, I will still hold his hand. I will still pray for him. I will still let him know that I love him. And I'll always welcome him back to the mission because Christ dwelled in him. See, when we become active in our faith, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we then begin to abide in Christ. Well, what does abiding mean? Well, Jesus talks about it in, in the Gospel of John where he says, abide in me, as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I am them bear much fruit. Being apart from me, you can do nothing. See, Claudio knew that he needed to reach out to this, this young boy again and say, you know, you're still connected. 
you're still connected because God does not give up on God's children. But if you become disconnected, then you do not have life. Trace and I, we have this, had this big bush in front of our house, and we finally removed it. But before we removed it, there was a, a little bush or something growing up beside it that I thought was a part of the bigger bush. So I, I, I would throw some water on it here or there and try to make sure weeds didn't get around it. But then I noticed that it was dying. And slowly but surely, it was just getting brown and brown. And finally, I went over and just kind of tugged it. And it was just a little branch that kind of fell off and just landed just perfectly in, in the soil. See, it became disconnected. But the good news, my friends, is once we claim Christ as ours, we become connected in him so that we may live a life full and so that our name becomes changed. We're not known by, by who we were, but we are now known by who God says we are. God's all about changing names. Throughout Scripture, we see several times where, where God has changed the names of those who follow him. All the way back in Genesis with Abram when he started this trek to this land that was promised to him and given a promise of, of multitudes of descendants, God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Jesus, as he gathered his disciples, he gathered one by the name of Simon. And when Simon gave this declaration about who Jesus really was, Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter and said, on you, I will build my church because you are a rock and you will stand firm. And in the book of Acts, there was a man by the name of Saul who, who hated those who followed Jesus and did everything he could to, to disband them or, or to arrest them, to have them killed and stoned. But when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, after that confrontation, Jesus changed his name from Paul, from Saul to Paul. And my friends, Jesus is all about changing our names. He changes our names from sinner to saint, from a person living in isolation to a person in whom Christ dwells. He takes what is broken and he mends it by his grace. And he reaches out to others through those places where grace is most visible to us. Over the span of Lent, I have given the congregation opportunities to, to be a part of spiritual exercises. These are ways for you to practice being in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And, and there's another spiritual practice for you today in your bulletin, and I hope and pray that you take them home and you practice this spiritual discipline this week. 
and it's kind of odd, I know, but it's a spiritual practice called solitude. And I know you may be thinking, well, well, Pastor Chris, you just talked about how we are not to live in isolation, but you're talking us, talking to us about going and being in solitude. But my friends, solitude and isolation are two totally different things. Because of the events this past week, you can, you can ask some of the staff, I was planning on isolating myself. I was going to set up a nice little camp out area back here behind the altar and just kind of sit there and just be away from everyone. But this morning that changed because no matter what is going through your lives right now, God doesn't want us to be isolated. God doesn't want us to be separated from one another. God wants us to be in relationship. And one of those ways that we can grow in relationship with God is by spending time in solitude. And when you're spending time in solitude, it's not that you're trying to get away from other people. You are taking the opportunity and the moment to connect with God. You're taking the time and opportunity to allow your relationship with God to, to gel, to, to, to fully embrace one another. This is something that Jesus did all the time. If you read in scriptures, you read in the Gospels, you hear that Jesus went away to a solitary place. It wasn't to get away from the crowds. It was so that he can spend time with the God that loved him, so that he could spend time with his father. So my hope and my prayer is as we celebrate in this resurrection life, we take time to spend time with a God who loves us, who cares for us, and who is wildly, madly in love with each one of us. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, God, you give us your love. You give it to us so freely. And, God, we give you thanks. We thank you for this day that we celebrate resurrection. But, Lord, help us not to keep resurrection only on this day. Help us live as resurrection people. Help us know that you have changed our names that we are no longer defined by who we were, but we are defined as those whom you love and delight, and that how you dwell inside each and every one of us. So God, as we move past this day of celebration, help us to live fully in that resurrection power so others may see, others may experience, others may know their, your love for them. And we pray this in the strong name of the one who loves us and cares for us, Jesus our Lord. Amen.